0: Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. Here's the impactful January 21st message titled, You Ain't My Daddy. Greetings, everyone. So glad that you're with me this morning. I hope you've had a good week and off to a good start this new year. Hard to believe we're almost through the first month of 2024. So glad you're with me. We're going to get into some things this morning that I think you're going to find interesting. If I were to put a title on the teaching this morning, I would probably title it, That Ain't My Daddy. That Ain't My Daddy. I had a message uh, not long ago from a lady that said, I'm new to all of this. I'm new to all of this. Sometimes we forget when we've been in this message of grace and unconditional love and fatherhood of God, we forget people that are just coming into, into this message. And she said, I'm I'm new to all of this. And a, and a friend gave me your name. She said, I have heard that grace is defined as love given that is not earned, it's not deserved. And this lady said, could that possibly... Be true. I messaged her back. I said, yes, it is. Grace runs on a one-way street from the Father to you. It has nothing to do with your belief, your acceptance, your prayer. Uh, uh, anything that you, you can rustle up yourself it has nothing to do with that. And I gave her my uh, favorite definition of grace. I said, it is a, truly a divine influence that produces effortless change, and all you do is rest in Him. She messaged back said, thank you very much she said, of all the abuse that I have observed in life, she said, the very worst abuse is spiritual abuse. And I got to thinking about that because, you know, spiritual abuse is a terrible thing. Let me let me say this about spiritual abuse before I get into the, the teaching this morning. All spiritual abuse comes from uh, manipulation and control. And it always has its root in... Fear and developing insecurity, it always does. And the fear and the insecurity comes through a presentation of a distorted view of God that is 180 degrees from the Father that Jesus presented and reflected perfectly. So I think what I want to say at the very beginning this morning is this. If we're gonna live as Jesus lived in this present world, if we're gonna live what I like to call the Christ is us life, then we've got to really know the Father. We've got to demonstrate a Father that mirrors perfectly the Father that Jesus mirrored. So I wanna get into some things this morning that may still on some level be distorting the view that we have of the Father, and that's why I'm calling this teaching, that ain't my daddy because we're going to look at four or five things depending on how much time we have we're going to look at some things that maybe we have to flush out that distorts our view of of the father and I'm doing this for two reasons one is for you uh... because these things try to creep back in it sometimes the second reason is because I know that you're dealing with people and many of you are ministering to people you've got a small group you have a bible study or you just one-on-one with somebody that's coming out of all of the bondage of religion and I want you to recognize some characteristics that they may they may be holding on to, even unconsciously, that is distorting their view of the Father. All right, let's start over in John chapter fourteen this morning. I want to I want to read a little uh, dialogue that Jesus had with one of his men, John chapter fourteen, and I'm going to read probably more verses than I normally read. I want to I want to start with verse five and through verse eleven. Remember. That ain't my daddy. Here we go. John chapter 14, and let me pick it up with verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Now that that last part of that that verse, uh, of verse 7 where Jesus said, from now on, you know him and have seen him. That triggered them. That triggered them. And so Philip pipes up and says, Lord, show us the Father. Show show us what the Father's like, and it will be sufficient for us. Jesus answered, verse 9, he said, have I been so long with you, and yet you've not known me, Philip? Isn't it amazing uh, how much we can be around Jesus or presentations that we've heard about Jesus, and yet we have not made the connection of Jesus and the Father being the exact, exact, perfect uh, representation, reflection of one another. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "Show us the Father"? Do you not believe that I, I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, He. Does the works? Believe me that I am in the Father, in the Father, in me. Or believe for the works' sake, right? Just look at the works themselves. Jesus said they are a perfect representation. When you've when you've seen what I say, when you see the way I live, when you see the works that I do, Jesus is saying I want you to understand fully that that's exactly how the Father is. So what Jesus was doing in that passage in John chapter fourteen, from verses five to eleven, he was adjusting. Their view of the Father, because they had no concept of, of the Father. Oh, they may have had one from the Old Testament. I, I'm not sure about that, but they had. They did not have an accurate presentation. At least in their minds, they didn't make. The, they didn't make the connection of Jesus and the Father. One of the reasons I love the Book of John is because John seems to have this unique ability in his writing to unveil the relationship that Jesus had with the Father, and. And he has such a a dynamic, powerful way of laying it out that the other writers of the Gospels just don't seem to to grab on to. John has the revelation. He has the insight of the oneness of the Father and the Son, the love that they have for one another, the union that they share together. And then the powerful thing about John, uh, he he takes what the Father and the Son have together and and he enlarges that circle and he brings us into that very relationship that the father and the son enjoyed so much so that in john chapter 14 verse 20 i quote this verse a lot because it's a game changer and it's a verse that i never really understood for a lot of years i just kind of passed over it he brings us into the very life of the father and he says in that day you're going to know guys that i'm in the father and that you're in me and i'm in you in other words the three of us the father The Son and you, the Spirit is going to reveal that we've got this little circle dance called perichoresis going on. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, John 14, 20 says, has reached out and pulled us in. Now that's a right conception of the Father. That's how the Father is. So this morning we're going to let John kind of guide us uh, in the teaching as we are going to try to get a real good focus on seeing the Father through the eyes of Jesus, through the lens of Jesus. Now, if if we don't do this, and, and I want this to become sharper and sharper and sharper. Uh, what is it, First John chapter three, where John said, um, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know this, that when we see him, when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as we as he is. So what what we want to do is to begin to see the Father through the Son in the Spirit through the lens through the eyes that Jesus presented them. And this is such a, this is such a big deal to me because you can't see you right until you see the Father right. If you have a perverted view of the Father, you're going to have a, a perverted view of your authentic I- identity. So when we have this When we have a foundation of grace which we teach all the time and the finished work of the cross and all the good things, uh, our identity as divinity, if we don't see the Father through the lens of Jesus, there's going to be cracks in that foundation. And through those cracks, that's where we're going to get the fear, the doubt, and the unbelief that come in because we're not seeing the Father absolutely perfectly. So that foundation is laid by knowing that you and the father without a doubt are one that you and the father are in absolute union in relationship and there's nothing that can shake it there's nothing that can dissolve it there's nothing that can uh, uh turn it around or make it not so now for me that's a big message because i grew i grew up in a in a really it was a spiritually abusive atmosphere where we felt, man, if you messed up one thing, if you messed up one time, you lost relationship with the Father. If you sinned, you were no longer a son. If you sinned, you lost your salvation. It was truly an Ar- Armenian, and I'm not going to get into all that this morning. But you, you know, God was kind of like an Indian giver; He give you salvation, but if you messed up, He take it back from you. So our whole life was spent trying to make sure that we were were saved. So when we can get, and I love teaching on this. Because it's so transformational. When you actually get a right view of the Father and you know that you and the Father are one and there's nothing that can destroy that kind of relationship and you understand, let me just kind of blow your mind, when you understand that Jesus was not favored as a son above you. In fact, Jesus, when he prayed, he said, Father, I want them to know that the love that you have for me is the same love you have for them. Now that's a that's a hard pill. If there's any Pharisee in you, if there's any religious religiosity in you, that's gonna that's gonna trigger you in a way that you're gonna say, "Wait a minute, that you're talking about the Father loving me like Jesus." That's absolutely what I'm telling you this morning. And so we're we're gonna get into how if if we haven't grabbed that and we haven't let that kind of settle into our inner man, we're gonna we're not gonna see the Father correctly. And when we don't see the Father correctly we're gonna open ourselves to some things that are absolutely not from him. So what Jesus did, Jesus lived a life where he absolutely had a a, a complete trust and a sense of security because he knew that the father loved him. And so in in John chapter five and verse 30, and again, this is an insight from John that the others didn't pick up on. Jesus was so, so uh, convinced that the man jesus was so convinced that the father loved him that he can say that he said this i can of my own self do nothing as i hear i judge and my judgment is righteous or my judgment is correct the things that i determine the decisions i make are absolutely right he said because i do not seek my own will he said i totally seek the will of the one who sent me now that's a paradigm shift for us I've done a lot of teaching the last few months about moving from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life. And this, this is a statement from Jesus that shows that he only ate from the tree of life. He said, I don't do anything in my own will. I don't make determinations myself. I don't say this is evil and that is right and this is wrong and that is good. He said, I leave all that to the Father. Whatever the Father tells me, I judge rightly. I make the right call because I'm not doing my will. I'm responsive to the will of the Father. I'm responsive to the voice of the Father. So the beginning of this whole paradigm shift for you and me, moving from the wrong tree to the right tree, understanding union with the Father, begins when you encounter for yourself the love of the Father personally. See, I didn't say accept Jesus as your personal savior. I said this paradigm shift comes when you understand, and let me say it again, that the Father does not love Jesus more than you. He does not favor Jesus more than you. Now, I, somebody, I just saw some of you go on tilt right there because you you have, and man, we love Jesus. We appreciate everything that he's done, but Jesus was the one that revealed to us the union that we have with the Father. He, showed, he revealed it to John. John explained it, laid it out really well. And John's the one that recorded the prayer of Jesus where Jesus said, Father, show them, convince them, reveal to them that the love that you have for me is the exact same love that you have for them. So when this reality sets into us, and I, can I just say it comes in stages, it doesn't come all at once. The spirit of truth doesn't back the truck up and dump the whole load at one time. It comes a little bit, a little bit, a little bit but as you as the as the door opens and the crack on that inclusive love begins to shine through, I'll tell you what, exponentially it explodes. You begin to see it in huge amounts, not just teaspoonfuls. You're gonna start getting it in a shovel full. Then then pretty soon it's it's gonna be one of those big old scoops on the end of a tractor full. I can't remember what you call it right off off the top of my head. But I'm telling you what, when when This father that we're talking about that has this kind of love for us crashes head on with that old judgmental, vindictive, angry, hell-casting God. Something's got to give. And I can tell you it's not going to be the father that Jesus reflected. I assure you the father that Jesus introduces you to is not going to move on his end. What's going to move is that old concept you had of God that was not right. That ain't my daddy. No, it's not my daddy. So what a true view of the Father does, it releases us to live as sons and daughters. I mean, all creation is looking for the manifestation of the sons and and daughters of God. And so that, that inclusive love, the view of the Father that releases us through his love and his goodness and his mercy, that releases us to live as the manifested sons and daughters. Maybe I can just phrase it like this. As you inhale the freedom of grace, man, isn't grace good? It just gets gooder and gooder. You inhale that freedom of grace. You're going to exhale because you have a right view of the Father. You're going to exhale the power of his love. It's just going to be a natural flow. It's just going to happen. And it's going to get on everybody that is around you. You won't have to uh, try to convince them of anything. It's amazing how the love of the Father just breaks the hardest of hearts when it's absolutely demonstrated, and that's that's where that's where we're at. That's where we're going. See, grace, I want you to write this down. Grace is the message we carry. Love is the message we demonstrate. So what we want to carry, those two work together. The message that we want to we carry to the world is, is a grace message. It's a, it's a message that says God accepts you just like he doesn't ask you to change. It's not a bait and switch gospel where by grace you come in and all of a sudden you're lambasted with rules and laws and regulations that you got to do if you're going to keep your salvation or you're gonna, God's going to be pleased with you. It's none of that. It's Jesus plus nothing. And so then the, the message that we live out is a demonstration of that grace, it's it's love. Those are the power twins. I believe those are absolute power twins in the life of a believer. Now when we slip back into the view of an angry God, a judgmental God, a God that is not happy with us unless we dot every I, cross every T, then, then we we just cap, we cap the grace that we receive. Have you ever noticed that when you have a concept of a judgmental God, when people carry around a concept of a judgmental God that's angry and gonna cast you in hell if you don't do the right thing, have you ever noticed how a judgmental God, a concept of a judgmental God produces judgmental angry people? Christians can be some of the most vindictive, hostile people you'll ever encounter, and all they're doing is reflecting the God that they serve. So Jesus came to correct the vision. (laughs) He came to correct the view that we have of the Father Jesus was never angry with anybody he was never vindictive he didn't uh judge in fact I, you will not find in the gospels and I I, I've, I challenged myself one time to find in the gospels any person that you know we would we would classify as a sinner tax collector prostitute um you know anybody that that we would just say that that is so contrary God you know they're they're messed up. Jesus never judged them, not one time. He never told one person, never told one tax collector, never told one person caught in adultery, male or female, and all those men that were accusing the lady, there had to be two to tango, so they weren't guiltless. He didn't condemn anybody. He really didn't. The only only people that he was hard on was religious people, the Pharisees, Sadducees. Uh, He was tough on them. He confronted them. But Jesus demonstrated in his life and his treatment of people, let me say it again, the worse the person, the better Jesus treated them. And so Paul comes along and he puts a theology, he really phrases it well, and says, okay, here's. let me put some uh, boots on the ground, let me give you some, some theological understanding, some background, of what Jesus demonstrated in his life to everybody. Let me just walk you through a couple of verses that we we've uh we've heard. Let me just give you three. 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians, this is this is Paul putting um, I would call it a theology, study of God. This is how God, this is how God is. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He didn't abandon Jesus on the cross. He was actually in Christ, reconciling the world. He was with Jesus every step of the way. He didn't, he didn't beat Jesus so he doesn't have to beat you. That's penal substitution, theory of atonement, which someday I'm going to get into that heavy because it is such a stumbling block. It's got to be pulled out of us entirely. He was in, in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him. Right there you go and is committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the word that you and I carry around is that word of reconciliation. We've been totally reconciled to the Father. He makes no, there's no asterisk in that verse. We're down at the bottom. He says, well, the only people he didn't reconcile were those that didn't pray the prayer or those that weren't baptized or those that didn't live perfectly. There's, there's no exception. He reconciled the entire, and the Greek word is cosmos. That's the entirety of the universe has been reconciled to the Father because of what he did in Christ. All right, let me show you the love he has for us. Paul put a little theology on, on, on this love in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> in case you don't catch it in the life of Jesus, let me put what, what Paul taught about the depth of the love that God has for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says this, I remember Paul's putting theology to the life that Jesus demonstrated. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, you ever wonder how much does God really, truly love you? Now Jesus said, right, and He walked it out. Father loves you same way He loves me, no distinction. So Paul says, all right, let me let me put some. Some God thinking on this. A study Here, Let me study a God. Theology. Theo, Study of. Verse 5. Let me read verse 4 and 5 again. I won't put any commentary in it. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I have to check those verses. Man, you talk about a depth of love. He came into the darkest parts of our life to demonstrate that love. And sozo does. That's not just give that's not giving you a ticket to heaven. That makes soundness, wholeness, healing, preservation. All of that is included in the word sozo. Let me read it out of the Passion Translation. But God still loved us with such great love. He is rich in compassion and mercy. Here's demonstrating it. This is so rich. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, sin is harmony. You know what sin really is? It's, it's missing who you actually are, it's missing the mark of who you are. It's not knowing your authentic identity as image and likeness of God, which automatically takes you over to the wrong tree. All right, even when we were dem- doomed in our sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Man, that is such a rich visualization right there that he brought us into the life of Christ even when we were jacked up, messed up, and enemies in our mind. So he reconciled us, He demonstrated great love for us. And what's even more than that, Colossians chapter 1, let me give you one one more little inkling here. Colossians chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12. It says that he has strengthened us with all might according to his glorious power. Every one of these verses, man, we could set on for a series for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance. Now, all three of those scripture verses that I read shows that the onus or the heat, the pressure, is on him to perform it, not us. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He did the work. We were benefited from it. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins because of his love and his mercy, you cannot, you cannot plummet the depth of it. He still made us alive together with Christ in that situation, and now he's the one that qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance. Jesus fleshed it out. He walked it out, and Paul comes along and says, all right, here's what you can believe about the Father. Here's how good our Father is. So a lot of the stuff I grew up believing and was educated. Man, I wish I had those years of education back. I I was learning, that ain't my daddy. I was learning the wrong view and a concept of the father. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you five things in the time that I got left. I'm gonna share five things that I have worked through in my life. I'm just sharing from my experience of things that kind of tried to come back at times and Distort my view of the Father. And again, I'm, I'm bringing these to the table today because I want, if any of these resonate with you, I want us to flush them out this morning. I want us to flush them out. Because again, if we have a wrong view of the Father, there are going to be cracks in the foundation of the grace and the finished work that we've come to embrace. And through those cracks, that's where the fear, doubt, the unbelief, the hesitation actually come through. But even more than that, uh, maybe maybe these five, you say, "I, I do not ha- I don't have any struggle with those. You're going to deal with people that do. There could be people that come across your path. You are, we read in Second Corinthians five nineteen that he has committed to us the word or the ministry of reconciliation. So the ministry that you and I have is to to let people know. Wait, there's no separation between you and the Father. He's fully reconciled you. So. Uh, and, and he's even reached in those three. Those three verses I gave you: Second Corinthians five nineteen, Ephesians two four and five, and Colossians one eleven and twelve. If you can break those down and explain those to people, I'll tell you what it'll change their life. If they're at all open to the Spirit of Truth, and they're at all open to what the Father's doing on the planet today, those those just those three verses: 2 Corinthians five nineteen, Ephesians two four and five. Colossians 1, 11, and 12 will set people free. Absolutely set them free. All right, I'm going to give you five things. And again, this is from my experience. Uh, If any of these kind of strike a nerve, let's get rid of them. Let's flush them out. All right, five signs that we're still holding a little bit of a distorted view of the Father. And we can say, that ain't my daddy. All right, number one is this. You're motivated by shame instead of love. And what I mean by that is, they're feelings of, of guilt, feelings of regret. Maybe you've come through some things in your life that have not been the best, and you feel like, man, I didn't handle it well. I made some wrong decisions, some wrong choices. Uh, and those we feel like that's a barrier between us and the Father. No, that's not, not a barrier. It's not a barrier. I want you to get rid of it. Thinking that God's opinion of you, that God's love for you, God's acceptance of you is based on how hard you pursue him. Or how much you obey him. Or how much you let him know that you love him. If you think that God is kind of sitting back waiting until you you do all of the right things. Then you can say that ain't my daddy. If you're motivated by shame instead of love. Uh, those always produce a feeling of coming up short. Right? Thinking that God's opinion of you is based on you being a God chaser. You being a pursuer, you you weeping and wailing and groaning <laughs> to let God know how much you love him, and trying to birth the things of God, no what those things always do they produce feelings of coming up short and and they make us ashamed we didn't do better, right those um, I'm trying to pull a scripture out of memory. It's Hebrews 4:16 that says, "Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, not the throne of condemnation, not the, the 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 throne of shame, or anything else that's that ain't my daddy. It's a throne of absolute grace. And when you can come to that throne of grace." That's why I had a fairly long introduction this morning. I wanted you wanted you to know how much the Father loves you the same he loved Jesus. Jesus was never under any guilt. He was tempted in every point like we are. That means he had a desire you can't You can't be tempted if you don't have a desire. Scripture says he was tempted in every point like us. that means he had a desire for everything in life that you encounter, and yet he didn't feel guilt, he didn't feel shame. He didn't get all condemned about it. Think God doesn't love me anymore. See, shame, here's the problem. Shame drains you of boldness. You cannot come to the throne of grace boldly if you're if you're harboring shame, guilt, condemnation. See, shame wants you to cover up. In churches that are, are real legalistic, we cover up all of our shame with a veneer of perfection because we don't want people to know that we've come up short. Right, It fills us with fear. It fills us with uh, thinking we're alienated and then we're separated. That was the whole problem that Adam encountered once he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He felt shame. He felt guilt. He got a wrong perception of God. And there were all kind of cracks then in the relationship in his mind, not from God's view, not from God's perception, but in his mind that caused all the, all the problems. So, knowing that you are loved entirely with an agape love, unconditional, apart from your actions, apart from your shortcomings, is imperative if you're going to see the Father right. If you you understand this, the Father never deals with you from a point of shame. Much of what we used to call conviction of the Holy Spirit was not conviction of the Holy Spirit, it was guilt, it was creating doubt. It was bringing feelings of shame. And those all come from your mind. They come from your mind that feeds on this knowledge of good and evil. That tree is, is the tree of death. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Always think, well, maybe I, I didn't do good enough. Maybe that decision didn't please God. Your spirit, man, feeds on love. And that love is going to, what John said, that love is going to cast out fear and the first cousins of fear, which are shame and guilt. So I'm cur- encouraging you this morning. Live your life in response to his love, which never varies. It never runs out of fear. It never runs out of anger. It never runs out of disappointment that shames you. All right? So that ain't my daddy. He never motivates by shame, guilt, condemnation. So if you're feeling any of that, and that's what's driving you, uh, let's get rid of it. All right, number two, and I gotta hurry along this morning. Number two, oh, this is big. You're scared of being outside of God's will. Instead of trusting him to guide you. Back in the 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 a few years ago, there was a there was a word that seemed to just be all over, especially in charismatic circles. It was the word destiny. We didn't want to miss our destiny. People spent all of their time trying to figure out, what's my destiny? I cannot tell you how many hours I've counseled with people that would sit in my office back when I was a pastor. And people would say, Pastor, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I'm just confused. I'm afraid I'm going to miss God's will. If that's you this morning... If you're ever afraid of being outside God's will, let me say this to you, God's will is not a mystery. It's not this gigantic puzzle that, like a jigsaw puzzle where you gotta try to fit all the pieces together and you try to fit the border together you know, on the puzzle and how you work a jigsaw puzzle. The fear of missing God's will, and if we do miss God's will, oh, then you know what, he's not gonna be happy with me. He's going, to, he's going to exercise displeasure. He's not going to bless me if I miss his will. And even more than that, my life's never going to be fulfilling. I'm going to live an unfulfilled life. I'm going to have to settle for God's second best or third best in my life. Do you know what that fear does? It breeds total insecurity. It makes you continually strive, but never hitting the perfect will of God. You ever heard teaching on that? Let us be uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might prove what is the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. Oh, you you, you missed the perfect will of God. Now you're going to have to settle for the good and the acceptable. The truth is this this morning. Digital Cathedral family, listen to me closely. The truth is the Father through the Spirit will guide you and lead you and draw you And pull you into his will. You're not going to miss it. Every experience you've come through. even Looking back on your religious days. All that stuff you came through. Don't be angry. Don't be hostile. Don't be uh, belligerent toward people or systems or what. Look, he used all of that to educate you. Especially those of you that are here at the Digital Cathedral this morning. Because you're on this cutting edge. You're on the front wave of what he's doing all over the planet. So oftentimes, like this morning, I'm teaching to equip you to help other people, and I'm just saying, if it is as apropos to you, let's flush it out. If not, put it in the back of the, your mind, file it away and uh, you know, let it download into your computer so that you can help other people. I want you to think about all the people through scripture that could have missed God's will, Abraham, Moses, David. How about Paul? I mean. We could go on and on with a lot of others too they 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 demonstrated to us that the will of God, the plan of God, is impossible to miss. It might take a Damascus road experience. How about Jonah? Jonah just popped into my mind. How about jonah he He knowingly went against god's will god God said, "I want you to go down to Nineveh, preach the gospel." Jonah goes to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and says, "Those people don't deserve it. I don't like them. I'll, I just assume they do perish." So did God say, "Okay, that's Jonah's free will. We'll just let him go." You know, I can't I can't usurp your free will. Uh, no, but He can influence your choices. So the Father says, "Look, let's just build us a big fish. Let's swallow up Jonah. Maybe two three days in the belly of that fish, he will make a different choice." All right. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 12. This, this is going to help you right here. Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. He said, do not fear little flock. Do not fear little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, body of Christ, when we got the kingdom, we got the fullness of his will. His, the entirety of his will is within the kingdom. And Jesus said, fear not little flock. Don't, don't get all bent out of shape. The Father has given to you the kingdom. Now, when you realize that, when you come to the full realization, when you acknowledge the possession that you do have the kingdom residing within you, you know what will happen? He'll begin to guide your steps. You'll you'll become very keenly aware of where He's taking you. I can't remember the address of the scripture. It's probably in Psalms or Proverbs. But it says, The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit today? The spirit of truth that Jesus assigned to us is responsible to lead us strong, to speak to us heavy enough, to where we never have to fear missing God's will. I don't want anybody in the sound of my voice, digital cathedral, uh, secret place, any, any place I minister, I, I want to dissolve this asinine religious concept that you're going to miss God's will. It's not the, the, the will of God is not this search and desperation. The will of God is an enjoyment of daily life. You say, man, I'm just flipping hamburgers down at McDonald's. You're right where you ought to be. See, the Father's planning us all over in every area, of sphere of life. And you might be under all this f- condemnation. I should be doing better. I made bad choices. No. He's brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Philippians 1:6. I told you that Paul put some good theology to the things that Jesus lived out and the things that Jesus taught us. Philippians chapter 1 and verse. 6. I'm going to read two verses out of Philippians this morning. He says, being confident in this very thing, that he that began a good work in you is going to be the one to finish it. The one that brought you to where you are today is going to be the one that's going to take you to the finish line. You don't have to sweat it. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to happen. Then in in chapter 2 and verse 13, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. This is a verse that absolutely set me free. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God that works in you. He puts the will within you. He plants that will within you. And then he gives you the ability, the power, to be able to complete that will. It's trust and not fear that's going to keep you on target. And I often make it like this the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit is like a GPS system. You make a wrong turn, He's going to tell you, just like your GPS in your car go down 200 feet, make a U turn, it's going to get you right back on the main route. Never be afraid of missing the will of God, nor be motivated by shame, guilt, and condemnation. Those two things right there that when you um, fall into, that ain't my daddy. Number three. You feel the need to defend the gospel rather than reveal the gospel. Oh, I came through this big time. There's nothing wrong with a lively discussion. There's nothing wrong with comparing views and and contrasting scriptures. But when when you're driven by this need to defend, and you have to be right, you can't pass that Facebook post that you don't agree with without putting a comment in there. I was I was the king of that when I first came into this message. I was on social media. I would make a grace I would make a grace post of some kind, and at that time, 20 years ago, man, this this message was not prevalent. It was looked on as some serious heresy, and I would get people that would argue with me, and I would fight back and forth, and we'd you know duel with scriptures. I had Facebook posts literally that contained 500 comments. And it was all from different factions arguing and, 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 and you know, not, I got to be right. I got to be right. It. Nothing wrong with the discussion. Nothing wrong with comparing. But when you are compelled, you're driven, that you have to be right. You might just be revealing your insecurity. You might just be revealing that you're trying to convince yourself that you're right. Let the spirit of truth convince you that you're right. Then you don't have to argue or debate. Are, are, are you with me? Let me say it again. Your security needs to be in your relationship to the Father like Jesus' was. Your security is not in your theology. Your security is not in your belief system because, frankly, it's going to change. It's going to shift. And if you're unwilling to let it shift and change, you're not going to grow. People are, are stuck in no growth for years because they've been unwilling to shift and change in their theology. They had to be right. Had to be right. I'll tell you, Jesus didn't die. He didn't live and die and live again uh, to defend a set of theological principles or uh, systematic theology. He never defended his gospel. He just revealed it through the way that he lived. Man, that's that's strong. Jesus didn't argue the gospel. He just revealed it. When you're secure in, in the Father's love, when you're secure in grace, No longer are you moved by debate. Man, I knew it was a a mark of maturity in my life when I could just scroll on by those Facebook posts from a legalist or somebody that was saying the end of the world was going to be by breakfast time in the morning. I could just keep right on going. Well, not my job to convince them? It's the job of the spirit of truth. See, grace teaches us that God does not need to be defended. But he sure loves being revealed and unveiled. And he likes to be revealed and unveiled through the life that you live. Just like the life of Jesus. The best defense of the gospel by manifesting sons and daughters is to just demonstrate radical grace and a lifestyle of unconditional love. That's the best defense of the gospel that we could ever have. All right, number four. You equate hardship with holiness. Maybe this is just peculiar to me because I came from such a strong holiness background. But if you equate pain and suffering with being holy and living a godly life, you have misjudged the heart of the Father, and that ain't my daddy. My background was in an environment that, man, the more you suffered, the more holy you were. And if you weren't suffering then you weren't suffering for Jesus, then you were missing the mark. The fact of the matter is, Jesus told us and taught us by the demonstration of his life that the Father doesn't punish or bring pain and suffering to perfect us or to mature us. Well, yeah, but Jesus said, take up your cross and follow him. Well, the cross is not a celebration of suffering with Jesus. It's the fact that you were crucified with Christ. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. You and I live in resurrection. The cross, when, when you wear the little chain with the cross on it, it's, it it's, not, it's not as a symbol of suffering. It's a symbol of what the cross presents and what it accomplished for all of us. The finished work of the cross. You wear a little cross. It, it's not about suffering. It's about demonstrating what the finished work of the cross is all about. So when you take up your cross, it should be the finished work of the cross. You're going to demonstrate and you're going to live the life that Jesus lived. See, the cross is just pointing us to the resurrection. A godly life is about the joy and the power of the resurrection. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12, I probably should read this. Hebrews chapter 12, because we've taken this way out of context sometimes. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2. This is going to ring a bell. You've heard this a lot. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. Doesn't say say he, he suffered anything. Now, is there sacrifice in the life we live? Absolutely there's sacrifice. But never, never mistake sacrifice for hardship. See, I sacrifice time to come on the digital cathedral. I could be off doing something else. I've sacrificed that time. I'm giving my life. The, the, the biggest sacrifice that you can make is like Jesus. You give your life. Life is made up of time. When you go have, have coffee with somebody that has questions and, and, and you know is wondering about all this stuff that you're believing, you're laying your life down for that person. You're taking up your cross in a demonstration of what the finished work of the cross is all about. Don't, don't think that Jesus had to suffer. Looking unto Jesus, the author, who for the joy that was set before him, he sacrificed, he endured the cross, despising the shame, He said, there ain't no shame in this. And now he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He despised the shame. All right? Number five. Number five. Ooh, I got to get through this real quick. You're trying harder instead of being transformed. The gospel is transformational. The gospel is not motivational. It's not pressing into the things of God. That's motivational. It's it's not behavioral. It's not behavior modification. It's not transactional. It's not, I do, therefore God will do. It's totally transformational. Again, Jesus didn't live, die, and live again to give us this path for us to be motivated to try harder, to work more, to to try to accomplish by the sweat of our brow he came as the firstborn catch this he came as the firstborn among many brothers so that you and I could effortlessly be transformed as we stay on the path that he's already bore for us that's grace that's grace he came to put down a path of grace So these feelings of inadequacy that pressure you to dig in and try harder and push more and discipline more and and sacrifice more uh, may be evidence that you have a misunderstanding of the transformational power of love in the gospel. It is totally transformational. If love never fails, if love never fails, I'm 47 minutes, I'm 48 minutes into this teaching this morning. And this is kind of the zenith of the teaching. If love never fails, the right right concept of the Father never fails, then there has to be enough power in that love. If it never fails to right every wrong, to make straight every crooked place, to redo everything that is undone, to restore all that has been, that has been stolen, and to fix everything that would have an image of being broken. That's, that's him. Again, my favorite definition of grace is it's a divine influence that produces effortless change as you rest in him. It's not trying harder. It's being transformed. It's coming out of that cocoon as a butterfly when you went into it as a caterpillar. It's the frog that was the tadpole. How hard does a, does a tadpole <laughs> work to become a frog? It's a natural process. It takes place from the inside out. How hard does that caterpillar inside uh, that, that cocoon, how hard does it, does it have to groan and, groan and try to break through and come out as a monarch butterfly? It doesn't, it's a natural transformational process. All right, let me, let me land this plane. Here's here's what I've been trying to get across this morning. Jesus is the revelation of your true identity as being in the very image and the likeness of God. When you have a wrong perception of the Father, here's what it'll do. When you have a wrong perception of the Father, it will put a veil over our ability to see ourselves correctly. The reason there's millions of Christians today that are struggling with those five things that I came through is because they don't see themselves correctly because there's a veil over their eyes. They're not seeing the Father correctly. As you live this life of grace and unconditional love, it's going to allow them to see the Father that is in you, even as we see the Father as we read through Scripture that was one with Jesus. So the... the, the, At some point, all of us have to deal with some of this. And I guess the big question is, why? Why do we have to deal with it? It's because we've had a wrong concept. If you want to live right, you have to change the way you're believing. If you want a better life, you have to change. If you do the same old, same old, it's crazy. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. Spiritually, it's going Back through every law, trying to keep the law, try to be motivated and expect a different result because you're going to fail every single time you do it. Strength of sin is the law. And and I'm not talking about drinking and smoking. I'm talking about missing your authentic identity. The strength of that, what what causes you to do it, are laws and rules and regulations that give you the wrong perception of the Father. All right, my time is up. I got to quit. Hope you, helped. Hope you got some help from this this morning, some understanding, some revelation, and you've got some things that will equip you into helping others. Those three scriptures I gave you, uh 2 Corinthians 5.19, Ephesians 2.4 and 5, uh Colossians 1.11 and 12. I'm telling you what, those, those are earth-shaking to religious people, and they will absolutely open their eyes. God bless you. Thank you for being with me. See you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. You have a strong week, a Jesus week, and let's carry... Let's let's give the message of grace and live the message of love. Fair enough? See you next time. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our digital cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on donate. Your continuous support propels our growth. And for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.